Welcome to Scientific American Science Talk, posted on April 24th, 2017. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... Look, we've got somewhere between 60 and 100 million cats out there, outdoor cats. We're not going to get them off the landscape immediately. And we are not proposing mass euthanasia at all. We're saying that we need to take this seriously. That's Peter Mara. He's the director of the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center. And with writer Chris Santella, he's the co-author of the 2016 book Cat Wars, The Devastating Consequences of a Cuddly Killer. Mara recently talked with Renee Ebersol. She's an independent journalist covering science, health, and the environment for such publications as Outside, Popular Science, National Geographic, and Audubon. What made you want to write this book? I wrote the book because, you know, after years and years of, of studying a variety of the threats that biodiversity face, I felt like um, it, it doesn't matter how much science we continue to do. The answers are never really going to be completely satisfying to or, or sufficient to uh, a smaller majority of people that, that really value cats. And it, it really I wasn't sure it was the science that really mattered anymore. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to bring it out in a popular way to try to explain to people what the consequences really are of cats and, and how significant they are, not just from a biodiversity perspective, but also from a disease perspective. And stick my neck out there, which is what I did to talk about what the choices are that we have to, we have to really make. Um, these are choices that many of us deal with on a day-to-day basis as we continue to try to, to work to save biodiversity. That's why we wrote the book. I felt like this was really a, a huge issue. It is really a huge issue that most people don't recognize or don't understand. And how many birds are killed each year by cats? So in the United States, our best estimates are between 1.3 billion and 4 billion birds per year. And what about people who say, my cat never kills anything when it goes outside? So uh, it's possible. And so, you know, there are some cats that don't kill anything. Uh, But there are also, we also know from several other studies that have been done, very good studies, that cats typically only bring in about a third of the animals that they kill. So people actually put saddle or put transmitters on their on their on cats and track them around, and they actually quantified and found everything that they killed. Um, uh, they also put video cameras around the cats' necks, and they showed that you know they're only bringing a few of the animals home that they actually kill. Um, so um, we adjusted our values for that as well. And but it's possible their cats don't kill. It is very possible that, that but that does not mean that. Um, it's okay to leave their cat outside because there's lots of reasons not to let cats outside roaming around on their own. Now, your numbers are pretty pretty large, but, you know, a lot of people might have the attitude that if a cat does kill one bird here and there, you know, really what's the harm in that? It's not going to cause the extinction of a species. Yeah, it's an interesting comment. And the fact of the matter is, is that cats have killed enough animals, mainly on islands, to cause the extinction of species. In fact, the paper that we use in the book by Medina, a publication that came out in Global Change Biology, attribute 33 species extinctions to cats. There was actually just a paper that came out that updated that figure and increased it to 63 species extinctions. Now, I haven't had a chance to to fully evaluate that paper yet, but that paper was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which is a fairly reputable journal. It uh, points to cats as being one of the most 
detrimental species on the planet. Now, the question that we get is, well, that's on islands, and cats are typically aren't really predators on many of these islands, so these are species that are particularly vulnerable. That's correct. But then when you look at a variety of the species uh, or the studies that have been done on mainland areas at local scales, they do show that these local scales add up to population level consequences, that there are particular vital rates that are, that are impacted that certainly will influence population processes. Does that mean that cats in mainland areas will impact or cause a species extinction? Not necessarily. But that doesn't mean that the mortality that they're imposing on particular species isn't important. And that's, that's where it gets difficult to really have these discussions because scaling up from a local study to a species-wide range is something that's really tricky to do. It's almost impossible to do, in fact, um, because we just can't be everywhere at once. But these local-scale studies do show that there's really important mortality imposed on these populations and these species. What about putting a bell on a cat's collar? That, that helps, right? Actually, it, it, uh, it probably doesn't help, uh, in part because birds don't really know what a bell means. And by the time a uh, a cat is in position and ready to pounce, uh, that bell, um, it's, it's too late. It's not going not gonna to do any good. Uh, and not only that, there are other reasons not to just let your cat outside. Um, the idea of just letting your, go oh, kicking open your door and letting the cat roam is really not responsible pet ownership. We don't do that with dogs anymore. We sort of learned years ago that we can't just open our door and, and let dogs roam uh, because it's not good for the dogs. And in this case, it's not good for the cats. Uh, it's, it's cats can get hit by cars, cats can get, get mauled by dogs, or worse, get eaten by coyotes. And not only that, there's, there are disease consequences uh, for letting cats outside. So letting cats outside in general is a practice that we argue really needs to stop. Well, how about those trap, neuter, and return programs? Aren't those part of the solution? So there's several problems with trap, neuter, return. The first is, is that cats are still on the landscape killing wildlife. They're still out there. They're not stopping. They're also um, attracting more pet abandonment. So these colonies rarely are stable, uh, and they are rarely capturing enough cats. Uh, so the population growth stops. You have to catch at least and catch and neuter about 75 to 90 percent of the cats in these colonies to actually stop the growth of these colonies, and that rarely happens. Are you saying we have to kill all feral cats? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is we need to do a better job of mapping out where all these colonies are and where these colonies are providing or, or presenting the most risk for biodiversity or the most disease risk in terms of spreading things like toxoplasmosis. Those need to be our high priority areas. There are some cat colonies in urban environments where they don't pose a significant threat. And I would say those are low priority areas. We Look, we've got somewhere between 60 and 100 million cats out there, outdoor cats, some of which are in TNR colonies, some of which are feral. We're not going to get them off the landscape immediately. And we are not proposing mass euthanasia at all. We don't say that in the book. We're saying that we need to take this seriously. Um, and so we need to figure out where the greatest risks are at immediately for biodiversity, for endangered species, for threatened species, for species in decline. Those are the colonies we need to deal with immediately. You mentioned toxoplasmosis. Could you say, could you tell us a little bit about what that is and um, how it connects people and cats? Sure. 
<clears throat> so toxoplasmosis is a protozoan parasite that breeds sexually only in wild or in, in cats. Not just domestic cats, but also in pumas and a variety of felids. The problem is, is that domestic cats are by far um, the the uh, represent the largest population of of cats on the landscape. Cats, once this um, protozoan parasite uh, breeds sexually, cats will go through about a week to three week infectious stage once in their life, where they uh, defecate out millions and millions of toxoplasma oocysts that go out into the environment. And these oocysts are some of the most resilient things on the planet. They can survive frozen soil. They can survive marine environments. They can survive freshwater environments. They persist for years. And when people are exposed to these oocysts or, or animals, wildlife are exposed to these oocysts, there are consequences. Humans can pick them up either through uh, fecal oral transmission. Cats like to defecate in gardens because it's loose soil or in sandboxes. And while you're uh, out there and you touch, you, if you happen to touch an infected, uh, uh, some infected fecal material, you can potentially get those oocysts in your mouth uh, or uh, some other way. And uh, those oocysts then start to divide in your body, and they eventually make their way up to your brain. Um, they go through several different stages. Uh, those oocysts are there for good. They don't, they don't go away. Um, they can actually go into your eye and to something called ocular toxoplasmosis, which can eventually lead into glaucoma uh, or blindness. Um, people that do get them immediately, get toxoplasmosis exposure immediately or toxoplasma exposure immediately. Some, some people develop fevers uh, and sometimes worse than that. Many people don't develop any symptoms at all. But over the past 10 or 15 years, there's been some incredible research, quite disturbing research, that has shown that people that are infected with toxoplasmosa, toxoplasma and develop toxoplasmosis also develop several different types of mental illnesses, including things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, uh, and suicide. I actually, um, there, are, there are some really uh, um, alarming papers about suicide risk and toxoplasmosis. So toxoplasmosis is, is present globally. There are some countries that have infectious rates of about 50%. In the US, people think it might be between 11 and 22% infectious uh, rate. Uh, infection rate in, in, in the U.S. So it's quite the significant disease. Uh, and I think we're just now really starting to understand uh, what the implications are uh, for, for mental health. Are certain people more uh, susceptible to toxoplasmosis? Well, I think in general, just like with any sort of infectious agent, if some individuals are or have immune compromised uh, or compromised immune systems, like AIDS or other other uh, other issues, those are the individuals that are more likely to develop um, symptoms. Uh, the long-term symptoms, uh, you know, I think I think it's probably safe to say that uh, the mental illnesses that that inflict folks um, over the long term uh, are probably also uh, compromised uh, uh, in terms of their immune system. But I think that that's still trying to be uh, understood. Uh, uh, we still have a lot to learn there. How are people reacting to your book? Uh, it's, it's mixed. Uh, it's, it's sort of the way that I, I, I thought it would go. I mean, we called it Cat Wars for a reason, uh, because just like with climate change, just like with vaccination, anti-vaccinations, just like with DDT, there is a proportion of people that are very vocal against certain things 
whether it's anti-climate change again or anti-DDT. In this case, uh, it's it's the folks that are the animal welfare activists or the uh, cat activists that are um, totally opposed to the book, in part because they are against any conversation if it involves euthanasia. They don't see that as ever being part of the conversation. Are you getting hate mail? Lots of hate mail. Lots of hate mail. Uh, lots of lots of uh, bad reviews on Amazon. These are people that have not read the book. Um, these are uh, folks that are just very, very passionate about cats and very, very passionate about the idea that cats should remain on the landscape regardless of what the consequences are. Have you gotten any death threats? I have. I have gotten a couple death threats. Uh, it's, it's, it's a hard thing uh, because in my mind, uh, while I understand the passion for cats and I understand the passion for life, um, I really do. I understand that these folks feel like the life of the individual is what really means something. Um, I, I really firmly believe that while the individual does matter, um, it matters to me. I have pets. I, I, I feel strongly about those individuals. I also see the long term and understand that those individuals make up populations and the impacts uh, can be disastrous. There can be devastating consequences uh, on populations of natural animals, of, of animals that are, are out in nature. Um, and so I wrote the book because it addresses these difficult questions that that we have to deal with. Um, and if we were to ignore them, there are going to be long-term consequences that I'm not comfortable with. What about the media? Do you feel like you're getting fair treatment from the media? Are you, you know, being labeled a cat killer? Are, are people being balanced? How's, how's it going out there with the media? Uh, again, it's, it's, it's mixed. And it's, um, I feel like the, the media that is more objective has been uh, very complimentary of the book. But I also feel like the media has, has gone for the headlines. Uh, you know, Mara says, keep cats inside or they die. We're not saying that. Not saying that at all. I'm not saying anything about mass euthanasia, but the headlines are pushing that. And um, it's, 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 it's hard because, you know, we're not, we're not, we're, we're trying to, we approach this from a strategic, thoughtful perspective. Let's look at where the cats are. Let's weigh these situations. Yes, it's a state by state situation. There's, every state has, has areas that are really valuable from a biodiversity perspective or have areas that are sensitive from a human health perspective. And in each of those areas, um, cats are having an impact and we may have to do some euthanasia. Um, but the first approach is to be to get those cats off the landscape by capturing them, trying to adopt them out. If people want to put them in shelters, that's great. But if we can't, then there's the harsh reality of what do we do with these cats? It's, I'm not willing to suggest or to support the idea that we just leave them on the landscape where they continue to have an impact. That, that's, I, I don't understand how that can be a solution. That's not a solution to me. I'm looking for solutions. Is it a call to action? It's completely a call to action. You know, what I'm looking at is that over 30, 30 to 40 percent of the birds in North America are declining significantly. Some up to 90 percent have disappeared. Now, I'm not suggesting that cats are causing all those declines. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. But what I am suggesting is that there are a variety of threats that are impacting biodiversity and birds. Um, and it's hard to always pinpoint exactly what percentage of the population is going extinct because of cats. And when I look at or, or declining because of cats, when I look at uh, my data on the magnitude of mortality, cats are the top threat 
the top. I've looked at wind turbines. I've looked at all these things. Is habitat destruction the most important one? By far, it's that most important one. Is climate change going to be one of the most important, important uh, um, factors driving populations extinct or declines? Of course it is. But cats are a significant problem on the landscape, and we need to start addressing this problem. The number of TNR colonies is increasing. They're not decreasing. That should be an, a, an alarm call right there. I just see this as a problem that if we don't address it now, it's just going to get worse. And as a conservation ecologist, as someone who really cares about our environment, I just can't do that. Now, nothing is going to change overnight. What are the first steps? Well, I see the first steps here really as, again, getting a handle on where the most the high priority areas are, places like in Hawaii. Uh, and there is a group in Hawaii, in Kauai, that's trying to get a handle on the growing cat population there. Um, and they sat, they went to the table with the cat groups and the Humane Society to try to come up with a plan and a solution to get cats off the landscape. Unfortunately, there are some cat groups there that continue to create problems. Um, and I just, I just uh, see that as a continual issue. Um, I'd love to be able to see groups like the United States Humane Society come to the table, whether I'm at the table or not, I, I, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, whoever it is, I'd like to see them come to the table, but they have to come to the table where euthanasia is still, you know, it's still a possibility. It's, it's, it's not a great thing, but TNR is not a solution. And so we've got to figure out what to do with the cats. And just like with deer, just like with numerous other animals whose populations have, have, you know, skyrocketed and continue to cause real problems, we've got to bring euthanasia to the table. It's just essential. What about uh, wildlife conservation groups? Do they, can they play any part? Yeah, wildlife conservation groups would be, would be tremendous. Uh, I think wildlife managers in general are, are a critical part of this. And um, for those TNR colonies that do remain, I would argue that wildlife managers have to be part of those discussions, part of that management regime that's established for the TNR colonies that stay on the, on the landscape. And I'm, again, I'm not suggesting that all TNR colonies be removed. It's just going to be impossible. But the ones that remain, state wildlife managers, um, uh, county wildlife managers, animal shelters that have the right proper training, uh, have to be part of that management of those predators that are on on the landscape, and so all these people have to come to the table. But let's we have to have an honest conversation about whether or not TNR is successful, and TNR is just not successful. So over the long term, we can't keep creating TNR colonies, especially in places where there are sensitive wildlife. One of the headlines that I've seen out there is um, the idea that you have to remove cats off the landscape by, quote, any means. Uh, what did you mean by that? So that was a quote that was taken completely out of context. And it's also it speaks to the war and the, the tactics that are used by by the animal welfare activists. It's funny because they'll use any means necessary to make their argument and to try to to try to um, uh, make make the scientists look bad. And that's exactly what happened. In that case, we say from a conservation ecology perspective, cats would be removed from the landscape by any means necessary. The very next sentence is, but with 60 to 100 million cats on the landscape, uh, you know, I forget, forget the exact words, this is going to be a difficult thing to do. And then there's the difficult question of what to do with the cats once they're captured. That's exactly what we say. 
So it's clear we're not talking about creating, you know, a mass, doing mass euthanasia, but that's how they spun it in the press. And that's the line that is, is sticking, unfortunately. Uh, but that's not what the book says. We do go on to talk about euthanasia. We do go on to talk about, um, you know, the sad truth of, of what this means uh, and, and what people do in the field and how these things have been done to remove cats uh, from the landscape. But that quote was taken completely out of context and spun in a way that um, just got people all riled up and, and incited a lot of people. Uh, and and uh, it was unfortunate. What if, what if nothing is done to deal with this problem? What do you think will happen then? I think we'll continue to see the degradation of our environment. I think uh, 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 species will continue to decline. Cat populations will continue to grow. Um, it's, it's, it'd be really unfortunate. Toxoplasmosis rates will continue to go up. Um, we'll see other human health, uh, consequences. Um, that's why, that's why I wrote the book because I see this as a, as a real problem. I really do see this as the silent spring of the 21st century. DDT didn't cause any extinctions because we stepped in. We, we let the science drive it. In this case, the science is really clear. And that's what we tried to, to argue in the book and to bring up all the papers, mostly papers that were not mine, that I wasn't involved with. Um, but we tried to bring the data forward and the science forward that made the case for the consequences of, of what cats are doing on the landscape. And um, if we just step aside and let it continue, then we're just going to continue to see impacts on birds, impacts on mammals, impacts on reptiles. Uh, and human health consequences um, that, you know, eventually we may not be able to reverse them. Do you think people will heed your warning? Do you feel optimistic based on the reactions to your book so far and um, where things stand? Do you think people will will listen to what you're talking about and maybe take some real actions? I think it's going to be slow. I don't think this is going to happen overnight, unfortunately. I choose to be optimistic. You know, I think that when you look, I look at New York State and the battles that went on in New York State, I think it was just last year, uh, where the TNR folks were trying to get uh, state funding and the governor looked at the science, the governor looked at the evidence and said no. Um, and I think that it's going to be that sort of an uphill battle. I think there's going to be states that, that continue to push TNR, that continue to not enforce leash laws and um, cat responsibility as a general policy. Um, but uh, I think there will be states that uh, will We'll listen and we'll understand that we should start be, we should start treating cats like dogs, uh, which we did 40, 50 years ago and take them off the landscape. So I can only hope that it's, it's, it's going to take some time. I'm hoping it's uh, not that much time, but uh, I, I prefer to think optimistically. I'm not going to go away. I'm going to continue to push this topic along with other topics that I work on, uh, not just cats. And uh, hopefully we'll make some progress. That's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com. We're also now bundling our daily 60-second science podcasts into weekly editions posted on YouTube, where you can enjoy them by subscribing to the Scientific American channel. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.